0: Hello everyone and welcome to Mike Springston FFC podcast where we coach you in the Word. We're glad to have you from wherever you're listening or from wherever you're downloading uh, this message. Today we're going to talk with you uh, on the topic, Understanding the Office of the Priest. Going to be very interesting. We want to again welcome you from all over the world that download our information, and welcome you to contact us at springston56 at gmail.com, mikespringstonministry.com, ffcma.org, or through Family Fellowship Chapel's direct messaging. Also want to remind you of my book, I Surrender. It's uh, in uh, your local bookstores or on, uh, you can get it through Amazon. Let's have a word of prayer, and then we will get into the teaching on understanding the office of the priest. Father, we thank you for the word of God. Open our eyes that we can see our ears, that we can hear and our heart, that we can understand what the word of God is saying to us. And then allow us to apply it to our lives so that we can be changed in the image of your dear son. Jesus, as you speak today, we will surrender ourself, yield ourself, and sanctify ourself to your voice. And as you reveal through the Holy Ghost what you need us to know, do understand, and demonstrate, we'll receive it and release it to your people. Thereby we'll be corrected, blessed, led, and guided into all truth. I thank you now for it all in the lovely name of Jesus Christ, who is our High Priest, our Lord, and our Man, in the Godhead. Amen and Amen. So who are we in Christ? What is being in Christ done for us? What's it produced in us? Many would say, well, we're in Christ and therefore we are saved. And this is true. He is the salvation of mankind and therefore is the Savior of mankind. This, of course, is good news. But is that all that being in Christ means? Today I'm going to take you on a journey of understanding. This is going to ultimately answer many of your questions concerning where is God in my situation and why didn't God do this or that when I ask, and why do the promises of God not just rain upon me? Scripture has something to say concerning these responses that exceeds the standard answer of, well... Maybe it just wasn't God's will, or you know God knows best. Now, the end goal of this message is the understanding of the statement made by Paul in Hebrews chapter 6, verse 19 and 20, which hope we have as an anchor of the soul, both sure and steadfast, and which entereth into that within the veil. Whether the forerunner is for us, entered even Jesus, made a high priest forever, After the order of Melchizedek. So, where are we going in reality with this study? We're going to identify four very critical items of information that must be gleaned from the scripture for the maturity, for the benefit of the maturity of the believer. First, we're going to identify the presence of a tabernacle that is located in an earthen vessel. Second, we're going to identify who must set that tabernacle in order. Third, we're going to identify how this order addresses the soul. Fourth, we're going to share how this influences our coming into the throne of grace and our ability to appropriate grace and mercy to help us in time of need. Study along. We'll probably answer some questions that have been pondered by you for some time. Questions such as, I don't seem to get answers when I pray, are none of my needs, none of the things that I'm searching for, none of the things that I want, are they just not in the will of God for me at all? Well, I don't see the plan of God for me, and therefore, I question, is there really a plan of God specific to me, or I'm frustrated with the Bible? You know, I read it, I try to apply it, but there seems to be little response to the things that I attempt to apply. Well, these and possibly many other questions will be answered as we uncover truth concerning how God designed the plan for his engagement into the lives of the believers. Needless to say, there are terms, conditions, and designs of which God is embedded for us through the life and ministry of Jesus Christ. Now, if we fail to seek, ask and knock on the appropriate doors to uncover the insight into these terms, conditions, and designs, well, we can live a most challenged life. Why is that? Because we will be unable to unlock the answers to the issues of life that are critical to our survival and success. These things concerning Christian living that allow us to become more than an overcomer as we engage in our world. So let's begin today with the foundational scriptures that show us from where this office of the priest is meant to operate. We'll begin in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 16. Know ye not that ye are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. Listen to Paul. He says, Know ye not. This is a statement that I feel certain should be answered by our saying in reality, No, no I did not. Why is this? Because of the way that we handle things that pertain to our body, spirit, and soul. If we recognized who we were and what we were, what was housed in our inner man, I would think that we would live differently, think differently, act differently, and speak differently. But since we seem unaware of the tabernacle or the temple that is in us, we live life addressing predominantly the human side. You know, we live by the stimuli that's put into our eyes and ears, and we produce responses to what we see and hear from our mouth. This human side seems to dominate us because we give ourselves over to it without realizing that there is a spiritual side. We allow the natural to dominate all of our actions. In so doing, we negate the temple that is in us simply because we don't pay attention to it. Now this can have tragic outcomes, often results in maladies in the body, sickness and disease in the organs, and prevent us from having the opportunity to live a healthy life. So with the human side is the driving force of our actions, we relegate ourselves to live under and by the common things of man. Now we're speaking to the saved person here. Why is that? Because to the unsaved, this scripture just does not apply. Let me explain. The saved person is living by a completely different kingdom than the unsaved person. The unsaved are living in a kingdom of death. So the natural decay of the human side is inevitable. They live dying. And without the plan of God for life, they see decay in their bodies. They see sickness, disease, hurts, and much more. These become the daily prescription of the unsaved and unbeliever. Now you would say, wait a minute, Pastor, I see that in the lives of Christians as well. (laughs) Well, you do indeed. The question is not does this occur, it's why does this occur? The answer will be dealt with during this study. Paul says you have the Spirit of God dwelling in you. Now is this the Holy Spirit or is this the actual Spirit of the Godhead? Well, of course we know that it is the actual spirit of the Godhead for two reasons. Number one, because of how Adam was created in Genesis 1, 26 and 27, where the spirit of us that was in him is also in us. Therefore, we temple or tabernacle the Godhead in us. Jesus also spoke to that in uh, John 14 and John 15, that he and the Father would dwell in us. This was the place, of course, from which Israel made all of their worship. Now we are becoming the temple and the tabernacle where the Godhead is. Now in the Old Testament, this was the place from which Israel made all of their worship. It was done in the tabernacle. They had God in the Holy of Holies behind the veil as they took care of the temple activities that were commanded for worship. And of course, there was a smoke that was generated from that worship that is said to be a sweet-smelling savor to God. Now, why is that? Well, because of the purity of worship. "...that began with a pure sacrifice and ended with the blood being poured upon the altar of incense. When the blood was processed correctly, it created the smoke that pleased God, not only pleased God, but waffled throughout the camp and let Israel know that God was in their midst. So among Israel dwelt God." Now the priests were the ones who were designated by God to offer the worship. They would gather the blood, then they would cleanse, purge, and refine themselves in the water of the labor in preparation for their entrance into the holy place. They would there offer the worship of the blood upon the vessels of ministry to God. Well, at the lampstand, they would sprinkle blood upon this article of furniture and identify with the complete process of God. To them, this lampstand identified the purity of God as it was made out of pure gold and the light that would lead them by night into the promised land. This light brought vision in the holy place. There they could see the walls made of pure gold, The brilliance of the display of light in this place of worship had to be overcoming as the light bounced off those golden walls. Now to us, as we see it today, it is a much deeper light because in the lampstand we see the purity of God moving up from the base to the top that flows all the way to the Holy Spirit. Coming from the base and coming down, we see the Holy Spirit flowing down to man's condition of being the righteousness of God. This is tremendous. But it is information that in our world today is non existent. So we said we saw holiness, we saw purity, it's holiness in the base, purity in the stem. We saw the seven spirits of God in the seven uh, candle holders. We saw the anointing in the oil. We saw the word of God in the way the candle holders were shaped into the almond looking uh, uh, leaves. We saw Christ and then we saw the Holy Spirit as being upon Christ. Then, from the top down, we saw the Holy Spirit of God as a fire operating in Christ, coming into an oil of anointing for the people, operating through His Word to perform it quickly, giving mankind the seven spirits of God that led them to redemption and ultimately to become the righteousness of God. That is the design of that lampstand. We see ourselves, we, we, we don't see ourselves in that light. Why? Because we do not view ourselves as being a temple or a tabernacle. Since we don't see this, we don't see ourselves in a light of who orders the work in that temple. Now the priest then in the tabernacle would turn to the table of showbread and here they ate of the bread and drank of the wine. To them it represented the bread that would be given as manna from above and the wine represented the blood of the sacrifice that had been slain. They would sprinkle the blood and they carried on the, uh, uh, the table and drank of that blood, and ate as they worshipped. To us, this place represents the cross. It's the bread that makes up the body of Christ that bore our sin. It's the blood that flowed from the seven places, all different, as he was sacrificed for the opportunity to be regenerated in each of us. These areas... This blood, when mixed with grace and formed in us, becomes the means of our salvation and the appropriation of each and every promise of God that is in Christ Jesus. Well, of course, then the priest went to the altar of incense. Here, again, he sprinkled blood on the altar, as he did, a smoke went up that was received in two worlds. First, it was received as a sweet-smelling savor to God. Second, it was received by the people in the camp as the knowing that the God of Israel was with them wherever they went. For us, this worship is much the same. When we bear the office correctly, we're in complete recognition that the God of the universe is operating in the temple and is actively having divine interaction with us. As we move to interact in our world. So we identify that there is a temple that is in us. It must be ordered, and it must be operated with precision. It must have as its charge the emphasis of worship. Anything and everything else must become a distant second to the maintenance of that temple. A misunderstanding here of how the tabernacle in you is ordered and maintained has dire consequences, dire. The misunderstanding of what I'm teaching you right now concerning the tabernacle in you being misadministered has dire consequences. Not only to your spiritual life, but to your soulish life and to your physical life. Why is that? Because if we don't get the worship piece correct, everything else in the process becomes disjointed. And when it's disjointed, it operates out of order. In verse 17, if any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy... Which temple are ye? Now, what does defile mean? The word defile means to shrivel, spoil, or corrupt. The idea is to waste the working of the temple. Well, as you can see, Houston, we have a problem. Why? Because we have in fact spoiled the temple. We've wasted the work of the temple because we have no idea that the temple was to be operated after Jesus. We have no idea that we were to be the one setting in order the tabernacle that is in us. We have no idea that the maintenance of worship was our responsibility. So we've run off after many, 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 many things and it has brought dire consequences. We're weak. We're beggars. We're poor. We're blind. We're broken. We're bruised. We're held in bondage and captivity to so many things and the question is why? We got saved. We are forgiven of sin but still held as beggars. Why? Because we never understood that we could not remain at the cross, nor could we remain just with attempting to destroy the flesh. No, there had to come the dynamics of a resurrection. And then there had to come an understanding of the office of priesthood. Without that, my friend, we become beggars, In bondage, bruised, blind, and broken. Because we have never set in order the tabernacle that is in us. Think about this now. We have spoiled this temple. We've wasted the work of the temple. No idea of what we were supposed to do After Jesus Christ, our high priest. So if a man defiles, does that mean by misusing the body for such things as acts of sin? Although one does those acts of sin because he does not understand the operation of the temple. What it means is that man does not exercise the order and the operation of the temple and therefore follows the ways of his human side. This is so because he does nothing to develop, order, educate, and train the tabernacle. Now the Bible says, Him shall God destroy. Now watch this. Look at this word because the word destroy and the word defile are exactly the same in the Greek. Fithero is the word in the Greek. Him shall God shrivel. Him shall God allow to spoil. And him shall God allow to become corrupt. Why? Because all of his inattentiveness towards the temple, shall God allow man to shrivel up, to be spoiled inside, and to become corrupt because he pays no attention to the tabernacle that is in him. Now, a a major question is posed by Paul as he concludes verse 17. Here, he identifies, now watch it now, that there is more than one temple. Look at his words. Which temple are ye? In so saying, he acknowledges that man can operate a counter-temple inside of himself. This then is a temple that has another master. It is the order of operations of one that spoils the temple that is supposed to be the temple of God. It becomes a temple driven by the human side. This temple has as its master the devil. So which temple are you? Well, in untrained and uneducated ways, man has allowed his temple to go unkept. He has not been educated to identify the necessity of order and organization within his own temple. Because of this, Paul asked the question, what temple are you? And most people would say, well, I'm not. What temple are you talking about? Are you talking about being in the church sanctuary? Because we fail to understand that we are the temple of God. We are the tabernacle of God. We are unaware of the order and organization of the temple and then unwittingly you've organized and set in motion this counter operation within yourself. This counter operation keeps your spiritual side turned in knots. You cannot seem to find the acceptable year of Jubilee. Remember that was in Jesus teaching in Luke 4, 18 whenever those that were beggars bruised broken blind and in bondage found freedom in the gospel of which he preached This probably represents the majority my friend of Christian people in our world today They've accepted Christ, but live in a a life of struggle and a life of turmoil. They hear the preaching, but find no means of appropriation. And as we go through this teaching, you are going to see why this means of appropriation appears to be a closed door and your prayers appear to hit a glass ceiling. Well, we attend church, but we deal with the issues of life as if they were waves that seem to toss us from time to time, seemingly headfirst into the shores of life's problems. They seek answers, And hear the word of God say that there are answers, but seem to find none. They gravitate to things such as self-help books and motivational methods to attempt to get themselves on some kind of a track. They listen to preachers who play the role of amateur psychiatrists and tell them to think positive as God wants them to do good. He will do it all for you. You just put your mind in a positive place. (laughs) I have a word for that. Hogwash. This just isn't true. Not only that, this sort of message is not even close to being true. Have you ever considered that the temple of which one worships that he really does not even consider as a temple, has become almost as if it were a temple of darkness and death. So how do you think positive when shrouded in darkness? Think about that. These positive preachers are not dealing in the reality of the spirit world because people that are shrouded in the, in the idea that they need to be motivated, that they need to find a way out. They're living in darkness, my friend. Shrouded in it. How do you find a positive when the entire economy under which you are cloaked is one of death? And tell me what good does positive thinking do when there is no positive feedback. Oh, in the world of darkness, there is much feedback. The problem with this feedback is that it is a false feedback. The world feeds us, you know, on false information. It tells us that we can think our way to a better life, It tells us that we can dress our way to a better life. It tells us that we can pretense our way to a better life. You know, fake it till you make it. It tells us we can marry our way to a better life. It tells us we can affiliate, find ourselves in the right crowd with those who will give us a better life. It tells us we can move ourselves somewhere from one location to another and it will be a better life. It tells us we can use something, you know, like a drug. And it will make us a better life. It tells us that we can put on huh, such foolish things as a wig. And we will look so much better that people will respond to us so much better. And therefore, we'll have a better life. Of course, we could go on and on and on with this. These all represent, my friend, false feedback from a world that is prepared to take advantage of your desire to fit into their narrative. So, what temple are you? Are you engaged in the false positive world where you intellectually attempt to create and carve out your own worth? Or are you engaged in the world of the spirit where your worth has been established as you being in Christ this is the question Paul asked and frankly it's one that you I and every believer must answer but you cannot answer it just yet why because you have not as yet been educated to know and understand how to live your life any differently you say but I've been a Christian for years I know what it takes to live a Christian life do you? What we're going to see as we unveil and unravel this teaching. We're going to look further now into 2 Corinthians chapter 5 and verse 1 through 4. But we're going to hold that for our next presentation. Father, I pray that you will minister through your word to your people. Open our eyes, God, so that we can see. We must begin to minister and set in order the tabernacle that is in us. We must do it in the ways of prayer, in the ways of worship and honor. We must do it in the ways of walking and living in the Spirit. Father, I pray that our eyes would be open to how we organize our worship, our praise, our study, our meditation, and our lives so that we can have our tabernacle set in order to accomplish the things that you designed it to do. We give you praise and honor and glory for all of it in the lovely name of Jesus Christ. as our high priest, our Lord, and our man in the Godhead. Amen and amen. This ends part one of understanding the office of priest. I want you to stay with this because you're going to learn some things that are going to transform your life. Find him as Lord. You can bring your world, your plunder to him. Lay him at his feet and he will speak life into the names of things that are dying in you. Find him as the man in the Godhead. There he will speak and show you great mighty things that are to come. May God bless you until we speak again.